Hi, and welcome to Bladed Binge Harry Potter. My name's Zach, and I am your host of this podcast, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I nearly missed out on, like Harry Potter, which I didn't read until I was in my mid-twenties. This episode is a very special one. Uh, I was recently asked to join the PuffCast podcast, also known as Your Harry Potter Happy Place. My excitement is exactly for Juliana's High, and that will make a lot more sense as you listen to the episode. But uh, they've given me permission to post that episode right here on my feed as well to share with you. So, grateful to PuffCast for letting me do that, Uh, grateful for them letting me come crash their podcast, and our discussion was all about Dumbledore's master plan. We kind of walked through all of the books and what Dumbledore had in mind and kind of the outcome of the story and like the plot of the books and what that did to his master plan as it unfolded. So uh, it was a really fun discussion. I'm really glad they let me uh, come onto their pod, and I'm really glad that they let me share it with you today. So enjoy this guest episode of PuffCast from yours truly right here on Bladed Bench. Welcome back to PuffCast, your Harry Potter happy place. This is episode 74 on March 8th, 2023, and I am Melanie. And I'm Juliana, and today we have a very special guest. We have our buddy, Zach, who is the voice and the personality behind the Belated Binge podcast. Welcome to the podcast! Hi! Oh boy. (laughs) Oh, hello! Welcome to PuffCast, the Harry Potter podcast. Can I get a good radio voice, please? I don't know if I can get 1940s, but I can give you the just vomiting on the microphone. Hey, how we doing? Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I I can honestly say we have not heard that voice before, so that's a good addition to the weird voices of PuffCast. (laughs) (laughs) Glad I could help. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, Zach, before we get into our main discussion and our news today, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Give us your pronouns, your house, your Patronus, your wand, and your favorite food that is not pizza. I can do that. He, him, and his. I think that's how you probably say that. My house, according to Potter No More, two out of three times, because I'm nothing if not thorough or possibly bored at work, was Ravenclaw. My Patronus is a Manx cat. Do either of you know anything about a Manx cat? No, no. absolutely nothing. I have to immediately check what they look like. <laughs> I knew nothing, nothing at all about a Manx cat until I had a guest on my podcast inform me that it is a tailless cat. <gasps> yes. Oh, it is. Yes, I found the cat. Wow. And it's striped. Isn't it fantastic that I managed to somehow get a spineless Patronus <laughs> that's going to be just completely useless? 
Oh, it's so no. cute though. Look at it. It's like it's got like a little chubby bum with a teeny tiny nubby. Why does it not have a tail? It's got a little nub. What happened? Dementors happened. <laughs> and they took his tail. Yep, that's where its soul was hidden. It's a breed of domestic cat originating in the Isle of Man with a naturally occurring mutation that shortens its tail. This is the most distinguishing characteristic of the breed, along with elongated hind legs and a rounded head. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Somehow, that is my Patronus. I believe I got that two out of three times, too, which was so weird. The other time was a dolphin. Oh, that's mine. No, that's you. <laughs> Do we have to be swimming when the Dementors attack? If you're in the water, you're good. But if, mm -hmm. like, what are you going to do if you're not in the water? We are just great. I don't even like swimming. I I have a panic of drowning, so <laughs> I don't know how I got it. That's not funny. Um, It's not funny to laugh at people's anxieties, but I'm going to laugh at the irony of that particular. Yes, that's mm. okay. I laugh at it myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> I had a question, Zach. Yeah, go. What was the other house that you got for the third time that you took the, yeah. uh, the house quiz? Uh, Gryffindor. Oh, okay. It sounds like you're very Ravenclaw, but do you identify with any of the houses better? Because Mel and I are, we usually get Hufflepuff on every single quiz, except for some of the weird BuzzFeed ones, which like they kind of sort you by like your Pop-Tart choices, which is questionable. So <laughs> we're, we're pretty much Hufflepuffs, but do you like self-choose Ravenclaw or is that just you're like, oh, yeah, no. whatever, that's just what I'm part of? Yeah, no way. I think that putting myself in Ravenclaw house is a disgrace to other Ravenclaws that are actually intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought of myself a little bit more in that Gryffindor house okay. simply because I would probably fit the bill a little bit more for dumb jock than nerdy bookworm. Until fairly recently, actually, I did have the revelation that mm -hmm. if I'm enough of a nerd to start a podcast talking about books for children, maybe I'm a little more Ravenclaw than I thought. Hmm. Yeah. That there's a quiz that's like 100 questions that breaks it down for you, like percentage-wise, which house you're in. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Which is much more thorough. I'll find the link for you for that. Maybe I should do that. But that's also a really nerdy thing to do, mm, to true. take the quiz multiple times just to try to get it. Like, one of the questions in one of those things is like, hey, do you like snakes? <laughs> uh, Really? That's where we're going with this? Here, let me pick <laughs> I like snakes and see if I end up in Hufflepuff. Come on. Anyway, um, yeah. that's my complaint about Potter No More, but maybe there's a reason that it's No More. Uh, what was the next question? Wand. You guys wanted to know my wand. <laughs> We're off to a great start. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Maple, 12 and 3 quarter inches, dragon, heartstring, and rigid. Ooh, okay. Apparently, my wand is actually pretty valuable, though. According to oh. the article that's written, it's like something about maple is for rich people, which, again, ah. I don't know where this just like lump sum is that uh you're suggesting i have but i would love it if somebody could point me in the direction <laughs> it all went into the want <laughs> right you paid it's for gone. your own with it bye <laughs> no kidding you asked for favorite food that is not pizza yes yes do pizza rolls count <laughs> pizza rolls will count as pizza because they are pizza wah 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 but do you have a second favorite food? Oh, it's ice cream. Because I get to eat it after the pizza. <laughs> oh, yeah, valid. It's I love great. That. <laughs> <laughs> do you still want to give us like a short, briefly... <laughs> very, very emphasis on short. History very short... about yourself so that we can jump into the news. <laughs> <laughs> short, brief 
please, for the love of God. Yeah, uh, so I am a, a father, a husband. I am a nerd about a whole lot of things. Usually people become very surprised when they learn that Harry Potter is one of those things based on the collection of other things that I am a nerd about, mm-hmm. which include, like, sports, the NBA, and motorcycles, and, like, dirt bike racing, and things that don't typically equate with fantasy series written for children. Um, but I'm a nerd about all of it. I am a little bit of a weirdo because that is a recent addition to my nerddom because I didn't read Harry Potter until I was like 25, despite the fact that I grew up with it and people have often compared me to the character physically, but nope, I was a little late, hence belated binge. Aha. That was the birth of the podcast that I host and why you know I exist. <laughs> yes, and we're, and we're happy to know that you exist, so welcome. Um... <laughs> No, I'm stoked. This is fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, listeners, we will get more on Zach as we get further into the episode. But first, before we get into the main discussion, it's time for the news. News. Ah. 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 Ooh. I don't know where that came from, but that's okay. Uh... <laughs> I don't know how loud you were, probably, but... <laughs> At least the Zoom call cut you off. Oh. <laughs> but, okay, so we have some fun news, Mel. Yeah. <laughs> so we have some little bits of news about Hogwarts Legacy. First, we have some numbers that I found very interesting. So Hogwarts Legacy has already sold over 12 million copies onto PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, S, and the PC, which isn't even all the consoles that it's going to be on, with a total of $850 million in sales. Like, that is bananas. That's bananas. It's quite a number. Yeah. It sounds like a lot, but I honestly don't know if that's a lot in the world of video gaming. I'm assuming it is, because it also says that Hogwarts Legacy was Warner Brothers Games' biggest global launch ever. Any game they've ever put out. Sounds like a lot. Yeah. Check. Confirmed. A lot. (laughs) This is a big number, friends. (laughs) If Joanna says so, it is. I I have double-checked that, and Warner Brothers confirms that these numbers are large. Um... (laughs) And it also, Hogwarts Legacy has been getting really great scores from critics. It has an 84 out of 100 from critics, and users have given it a 90 out of 100, which is awesome. And I feel like, I don't know games that well, but I feel like usually the critic score and the fandom score is probably a lot more different than like 84 versus 90, and probably lower on the critic score. I feel like anytime I read reviews of like movies or video games, and then I actually go see them or play them, I'm like, yeah, I would give this like a 9 out of 10. The critic is like 2 out of 10. I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Just angry people. Yeah, Yeah, just like angry, (laughs) angry people. But it has gotten some really great reviews, and it has had over 100 110,000 reviews to date, which is a lot. That we would like to say, listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, go and review us over on Apple Podcasts and give us yes, five please. out of five stars. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just had a little shout out to the Harry Potter exhibition, just reminding everyone that that's going to be coming to New York soon and that I actually may or may not be trying to get there. Also, Mel, I found this little piece of information. I thought you would enjoy this. There is a Magical Creatures like event that's coming to Universal Studios Japan. It says that guests can experience four Magical Creatures featured in the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts franchises at various places within Hogsmeade and the section of the park. The encounters are scheduled to begin Friday, March 17th. 
So they're on the performance stage, they're going to have a hippogriff magic lesson in which a proper etiquette will be teached and stressed as so to avoid any Malfoy-style catastrophe. <laughs> well worded. Yeah, I know, right? And then there's going to be a bunch of classes available. There will be a pygmy pup in Zonko's joke shop. Then in Hogsmeade Station, there will be a baby dragon. Most importantly, there will be a nippler at the owl post. So I, I'm, I'm guessing these are like animatronics that they're going to bring in. There are no pictures except for like illustrations and posters mm-hmm. that they've made so Those far. I for saw. Them. Mm. Yeah, but there's no like actual pictures yet. So I'm very interested to see what this looks like. And maybe they'll bring it to the United States if it goes over well, because that'd be really cute. Or or maybe they'll drop it off in Mel's backyard. Who knows? Because she wants the nippler. In Japan, of course. That's so yeah, far away from me. I know. <laughs> I would definitely love this. This sounds so cute. If you get to interact and do classes of sorts, that sounds really fun. Yeah. Something like this to the studio tour in London, I can reach that much easier. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing. So... Do we have anyone listening over there? If you, if know. we have, then please share with us. You know, we always want to to see pictures. Yeah. So we'll we'll keep our eyes peeled for pictures of that once that actually starts happening in March. I see a little bit of a missed opportunity. The Niffler should have been in Gringotts. Oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah, valid. Why do I think you need to contact the Warner Brothers Japan people and let them know? Hey, my name is Zach, <laughs> and I think that you should put this in Gringotts. <laughs> Thanks. Love Zach. <laughs> but good uh, point. Yes. I agree. Okay. So we did get some feedback. At the top of the feedback, Mel, I do need to address something. Yes, you should. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Parth made this point to me, and I, Parth, I'm so sorry. I deeply <laughs> apologize because I did not say how many Julianas tall the giant wand was. And I must be measuring things in Julian, as we know this. The giant daisy is exactly through Julian's high. We, we did the math. So you are referring to the big wands in the exhibition in Georgia. So Yes, the giant wands in the exhibition in Georgia. I will say they were about two Julianas high, approximately. Okay, that's, that's so. good to know. Now we can all mm-hmm. sleep very well tonight, because mm-hmm. that yep. was a great mystery that needed to be resolved. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we had some additional little pieces from one of our friends as well about the game, and it comes from Patrick, and he said it was a great episode this week, so our detailed talk about the gameplay. He says the game is great, it is so immersive, I have literally done nothing but play (laughs) since I got the game, and I think many (laughs) have been on it. Yeah, there's a lot of people who can probably identify. But uh, in our conversation the last couple of days, he also told me, I don't know if this is a widely known thing yet, but I thought we will share it here anyway. Mm-hmm. He's a Slytherin and he tries to try to get into the Hufflepuff common room. Apparently we can't do that. Uh, and he oh. got access, got denied, and he was, as we know in canon, sprayed with vinegar, which was hilarious. We That's shared great. the video on our socials, so go and have a look at that. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Um, he also mentioned that only the puffs in the game get to go to Azkaban, actually. Oh. I have been playing already that part, and I did not know that this is only limited to the puffs. Hmm, interesting. So this is maybe in that particular quest, every house gets to do something else, I suppose. Hmm, possibly. Yeah. And 
then he had another fact that was we talked in our last episode about the Livioso spell and that we did not know why it was that form Mm -hmm. but he said that there is actually also a Vingardium Liviosa to be achieved at some point he was suspecting that one is possibly for levitating foes and the other one only for objects so that there might be a difference in that yeah, have you gotten that far yet in the game mail? Where you gotten them guard? Not yet. So I'm uh, I'm curious okay. to see what that looks like. So I've been doing the watch along, and I have gotten this far. Oh, you have. I met the Wingardium Leviosa. I know her. She is a she is a stronger a stronger woman. The spell is for you can pick up foes and items, and it's just a stronger version of the spell. And they oh. they describe it as like, okay, you know Leviosa. Now we're gonna. I think it's the flying teacher who teaches you Wingardium Leviosa. I could be mistaken though. Okay. But yes, it is a more powerful version of Levioso, which begs the question, where did Levioso come from, though? Like, that's not part of the Harry Potter canon that we know of, but it could be. But it could still be, as we talked about in the last episode, that it's the former version of the spell, and they just tweaked it a little bit more and made it even stronger, and that became Vingardium Leviosa, possibly. Possibly. Okay, and then you had a small shout-out to Joseph now. Yeah, I just thought we mention Joseph shortly because he wrote us a cute little message on Instagram. He said that he couldn't wait to listen to our Hogwarts Legacy episode and he absolutely loves the podcast. And he has been listening to it while he was reading the Harry Potter books. So, Aww, thanks, Joseph. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and listening. So we always love to hear from you guys. Yeah. And then we do, we have a new review, which is very exciting. Yeah. Do you want to read it? Sure. It's from Big John Waite. Big John what? Big John what? I think it's supposed to be Hogwarts, maybe. Big John H-W-T, I think. Hogwarts? I'm not sure. <laughs> Big John Hogwarts. Yeah. Maybe. But we'll just call it Big John. So Big John says, super fan, super fun. Great show with intriguing guests and easy to digest information. The show is easy to listen to with fun segments and very good production. Ooh. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, Slytherin, or Gryffindor. You'll keep coming back for more. Oh, so Mel, you get an extra like bonus like pat on the back there. <laughs> Thank for you. For the production value. <laughs> well, we are working together on this podcast. <laughs> I am yeah. doing the editing, but... <laughs> it's, it's a joint effort. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so thank you so much, Big John. Big John. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> okay, and that brings us to the end of the news. Do, 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 news. <sighs> thank you, listeners, for joining us for the news. Okay, Zach is like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> no, every time I've heard the do, 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 it just makes me laugh. Did you think it was pre-recorded? Well, I was curious. It's not. <laughs> um, but now I know you do it live every What's time the, organically each time i do mm-hmm. yeah it's not a pre-recorded bit because sometimes it's the morning news sometimes the afternoon news sometimes we like we do like a more dramatic like do 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 news but like, doesn't it, it remind you of super mario yes hi my name is eric manweiler of Woodthrush wands I make hand-carved wands inspired by the beauty and wonder of the natural world and our beloved Harry Potter universe. 
I love imagining how all of the life force and energies and magic of plants and animals enhance and shape the magic that goes into wands and cores. And if you're in the forest, how that might change the magic that you do and, and enhance it and strengthen it. I also really love the creative process of wands and the storytelling of it. You know, when you weather a wand and you give it sort of this used feeling, it tells a story about where that wand's been and how it's been used. You can find my wands on Instagram at woodthrushwands. Okay, so we let our friend Zach choose the discussion, and he decided he would like to speak to Dumbledore's master plan. Ha 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 ha! Mail inserts, <laughs> lightning, like blasting music, like evil music. Dun dun dun! Right here. Ha 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 ha! Okay, so now that we've done that, I hope you don't insert anything. I hope that, that <laughs> is just all it ends up being. <laughs> Listen to like there goes Juliet again. What is she doing? That's that production quality that you yes. were just yeah. given kudos for. You don't tell me what I should do. <laughs> yeah, Mel is the editor. She gets to decide. She'll maybe she'll put some music here. Or here. Or here. Or should just cut that out. Uh, <laughs> we like to give her a lot of material to work with, but uh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, so we did not have a Dumbledore episode yet, so we are actually really excited about this. No, we haven't actually. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know that I necessarily have a Dumbledore episode myself either. Uh, I have oh, okay. a lot of Dumbledore in every episode of my podcast. I have noticed. Mm-hmm. It's become, yeah, It and really, honestly, I probably would have more listeners if I would have like thought about it ahead of time and really like branded it as, this is the Dumbledore Master Plan Podcast or something like that. <laughs> that is a very niche podcast. Yes, all seven of us will nerd out about this. Um, (laughs) And I got to give a little bit of a nod to the Super Carlin brothers who did a video about this, so I don't want to make it seem like we're just blatantly ripping it. Um, But there are elements to that that, like, shaped this for me a little bit. But I think I think about it differently than at least some people in terms of how Dumbledore is portrayed in the series because he's very polarizing, right? And that's... That's yeah. why I find him so fascinating. He's my favorite character to like discuss. I love him. It's crazy from the standpoint of suspending disbelief where he has all the answers to everything and when something doesn't make sense in the plot, we just have to have Dumbledore tell us and Dumbledore just knows. Yeah. Aside from that, he's absolutely fascinating. But the thing about it that makes me always more fascinated with Dumbledore is that there's this thought that he had this this plan and all of this is mapped out and he's the chess master and all of that. We've all heard these nomenclatures. Is that the right word? Is that even a word? Does that exist in the dictionary anyway? Nomenclature would be like a name for something. Are you looking for what what, what are you? Sure. Some of that, like chess master, like the- Yes, no nomenclature, yes, correct. Him, yes. Cool. I learned something today in my ramblings. Words, fun. <laughs> Yay, English. 
the idea that this was just a plan mapped out and Harry was just manipulated and used the whole time Mm. is kind of true. But there's also, I think the plan evolved over Mm. the course of time. Like, I think that Dumbledore went into it with a lot colder intention and eventually actually gave a crap about the child. You can kind of see some of the things, I think, falling into place as the books go. Mm-hmm. And that's where my podcast often like diverges from the text on the page as I go chapter by chapter. It's kind of like, what is Dumbledore doing right now? Mm. Like, what is what is happening in that office or whatever? So yeah, I just I find him fascinating, and I thought it'd be fun to just sort of walk through the kind of stages that that plan went through by the time it gets to the end where our little tiny hero wins on a technicality. But that's a different podcast. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you. Yeah. A lot of people like think the author planned out Dumbledore's whole arc and like everything that's going to happen like from the beginning. Do you think the plan was set in place from the beginning from like a writing standpoint? Or do you think that JKR kind of like evolved things as she went along? Like what's your take on that? I think yes. I think both. Okay. I think there were elements that were ideas early, but then I think things evolved and changed as it went. Mm-hmm. And there was a really well done use of this, but I think a lot of times some of those Easter eggs that we find, that we find like fascinating in the writing, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we're like, happy accidents. Hey, I need a, well, in some cases, probably happy accidents, but then also other cases where it's like, I need a thing and went back and it's like, oh, I'll grab this one. Yeah. So that it kind of created that tie. I don't think all of that was mapped out from the beginning. Yeah. See, that's where I am too, because things that had to have been changed from the beginning, if, if, if there was a plan, like, strictly from Sorcerer's Stone onward. Have you ever written a paper and, like, gotten to the end of being like, yeah, I meant to write every single thing in this paper or this book from the very <laughs> beginning? It's like, like I don't think you can start a, a seven-book series and, and, like, plan out every single minute detail no. ahead of time. No, not even remotely possible i think i just think there were some some smart opportunities Mm. capitalized on based on what was written before while writing what's coming next agreed yes okay so dumbledore's master plan Mm. step us through this insane crazy wild plan that dumbledore has that's pretty much it in a nutshell or at least maybe it's just me Dumbledore goes into the beginning of our series as the puppet master, as the chess master, just knowing because he knows about the prophecy, he was literally there for it. Mm -hmm. And he knows that this kid is essentially the key now because Voldemort actually followed through and marked the child. Now the child is the key to killing Voldemort. So he kind of goes in knowing that this is my key chess piece, and now I have to figure out how to make this key chess piece actually do the thing and get rid of Voldemort from from the jump. And that is always still there, but the how and like the agenda and the goal of the manipulation as it goes evolves over time based on his relationship with Harry throughout the books. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's there's a few kind of like stages, I guess, of it I w- that I would bucket things into where I think he begins in just like full on asset mode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do I have? What am I working with? This is these are literally just tools for me to get to my end. And who cares that they have a pulse? And then it 
goes through in an activation of that and then it kind of morphs into a protective nature like a, a mm. protection of that and then a full-on just like attack at the end where like we actually got to get this done and it's fascinating to me where those things take place because i think i have a different interpretation of the books and when that stuff happens mm, than okay. what I think the consensus would be or what the page is actually telling us like with the words that are on it. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it'd be kind of fun if we just went through kind of book by book at a high level of where Dumbledore was in this and kind of what he was trying to do. Yeah. If not, then I guess this is going to be a short, short podcast episode <laughs> if you guys are not down to do that. And that is the end, friends. That was all <laughs> D- Dumbledore had a plan and that was it. Goodbye. Have a right. great day. Bye. <laughs> I think that sounds great. So I'm I'm already (laughs) hooked. I want to hear what you have to say. (laughs) So I think Sorcerer's Stone starts off, Philosopher's Stone, um, of course, uh, starts off and Dumbledore is absolutely just in what I would consider like asset collection mode. Mm -hmm. But at this point, what we don't peel back, I guess, is that I think he's already suspecting a Horcrux to be involved in this. It doesn't make any sense to me that we get in the memories of Tom Riddle, Slughorn talking about how fierce Dumbledore already is about Horcruxes and the fact that as soon as he's like headmaster, he empties the library of Horcrux books. Like if he can't know that much about Horcruxes and not think that he's fully in chapter one of book one, he's already saying Voldemort is not dead. Mm -hmm. How is he not dead? If he's not thinking Horcrux at this point, nothing makes sense. Yeah. Have we ever found out when he got the manipulated memory from Slughorn? Did he ever specifically say that? I can't remember. No, I don't think so. Because he could at this point have it already. It's possible. I don't think we know when the memory hunting started. Yeah. But I have to imagine he's at least on some of it, right? Yeah. Because I think that people, or not people, but like the way that the books are written, it's supposed to, even when he starts explaining it to Harry about the diary. I knew when you brought me this, this was a different kind of, a dark kind of mat. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to try to convince us that you just learned what a horcrux was when you looked at that diary? Because that doesn't jive here, bud. No. Like, it just doesn't work to me. So I think he's already, when he's talking to McGonagall at the beginning of book one, he's suspecting horcrux possibly. Mm. And that's going to, like, play into this. And he knows that he's got his his asset of Harry. Voldemort's not gone. We got to protect the kid. Yeah. Hence the blood magic, the charm that he puts on the Dursley and all of that stuff that we know. Like, he knows all of that is important from now. He knows Voldemort's coming back. Right. He's already suspecting some sort of connection through the scar when he tells McGonagall that even if he could do something about it he wouldn't because those can come in handy. I remember also and I don't know if if you have planned to mention that later here and if I'm pulling that too early (laughs) but uh, I do remember you mentioning in your own podcast this moment of where we have the teacher every year being renewed for Defense Against the Dark Arts, mm-hmm. and that through that Dumbledore knows that Voldemort must be still alive in some form, or otherwise that curse would have been broken, and right. he would not have to replace them continuously throughout the years. Yeah, that was actually, good lord, I think that was like episode one, like chapter episode <laughs> one of my podcast. I was That was just like, I, I love that i have not thought about that yeah that's a good point Mm -hmm. yeah i think i broke down i think the way that i 
that I positioned that was like Dumbledore knows three things that we don't in that chapter. One is the curse on that position. Mm-hmm. Two is the like sacrifice and the prophecy, I think. It was a long time ago now. <laughs> <laughs> but he's working with knowledge that we are not, and he's doing so throughout the entire book series. But I think it's just... It's fascinating to me. All of that is right there in literal chapter one mm-hmm. before we even like get through. And of course, he knows he has to protect this asset to get him all the way to the end. And once that asset comes to school, then it's like, okay, right, evaluation and training begins for Harry and what he's, what he's working with. Because that prophecy doesn't say how. No, it doesn't. At all. That's on Dumbledore at this point to figure out, like, how okay this kid is the answer what if this kid's an idiot what am i what am i doing like what are we supposed to do so he's evaluating him throughout the entirety of book one and beyond so i think it's interesting i know a couple of the highlights in that book are like making sure that he gets to the end i i have all kinds of crackpot theories about it like yeah um for instance, I don't think the things that Hagrid let slip were necessarily accidents. I think there were many moments throughout where you get a nod that Dumbledore fully intends for Harry to try to figure this thing out. Mm-hmm. That was always the case. You've got the, and it's little things even. One, the mirror of Erised just randomly sitting in the middle of a classroom that Dumbledore's also sitting in invisible and <laughs> Harry just happens upon it. That's not creepy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <Not creepy> at <laughs> all. Yep, that's yeah. all by chance, for sure. Dumbledore on this scene gives me big Edward watching Bella sleep vibes. <laughs> yeah, that's creepy. But there's there's like a couple of hints that came through the first book with Dumbledore that suggest he absolutely fully intended Harry to go on this quest beyond oh, yeah. just like planting the mirror of air said there like, "Do you remember when he comes down at the Quidditch match and is like, "Hmm, found something to keep you busy." Excellent. Yeah. I like to think of Dumbledore, especially in the first book, as like a little almost evil fairy godmother who's just like slowly dropping little gifts and hints off and like Mm -hmm. definitely the stuff with Hagrid. Like Dumbledore went totally went to Hagrid and told him all this stuff and he's like, yeah, Hagrid's like a giant megaphone for anything that I tell him. Yeah, you can't keep anything to himself. (laughs) (laughs) Like none of it was an accident. It was all supposed to lead Harry and Mm -hmm. I am not buying that Dumbledore bought the owl from the ministry. Bought the owl from the ministry? What was that? The one where he he was off to the Ministry of Magic. Oh, okay. When they finally tried to come tell an adult, like, hey, some stuff's about to go down. Please help us because we're 11 and this isn't our responsibility. Yeah. Nope. Dumbledore's just not there. I'm. He was not flying to the ministry. He was just like, nope, let's see how this goes. This makes him just more and more evil. It's just, oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Evil in, like, quotation marks maybe questionable, but... Oh yeah, I think he was very much in full-on manipulation and using oh, yeah, of Harry in book one. And I think it was all evaluation. I think if at any of those points... Harry was actually going to die, Dumbledore would have miraculously made sure he didn't somehow, some way, showing up at just the right time, kind of like he did at the very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's just my, my two cents. Because if Harry actually dies, Dumbledore doesn't have his king yeah. on the chessboard. So he's got to make sure that he lives through it. But he also, he has to make sure that this kid, emphasis on kid, yeah, is actually able to... Let me say this as bluntly as possible because this is 
This is the book series that was written for children. This child has to murder a serial killer. Yeah. For this to come out with the good guys winning. I personally did not go on any, on any murder quests as an 11 year old, so. You haven't? Uh, oh. yeah. Mel has, though. I thought this was a standard thing. That's the German <laughs> way, is to send out your 11 year old children. Hey! <laughs> no, in the US, the standard way is to sit around, play video games, and eat a lot of fast food. Yeah. That's the way. I think for me, like, he gets, like, summed up as a character for me in the twinkle in his eye because like you see that and you're like oh this guy's up to he's up to something because because like yes. I, I and i personally identify with dumbledore on that because mel knows too like i just get this weird twinkle in my eye and <laughs> you can like set something off and i'm like <laughs> is there a giant snake in your basement with a huge statue of yourself no but if i could i would have the squid Ooh, there you i go. love the squid so there's there's all those little breadcrumbs, but then when I got to what I deem the obstacle course at the end of book one, those are geared towards children. Yeah. Let's be honest. If you had a higher level of magic, then you probably could get through those really quickly. Yeah. If you're a fully trained and dark wizard, you're not getting stopped at any of those obstacles until you get to the mirror. So Dumbledore didn't intend on any of those things stopping the actual like person going out. He intended on the mirror to protect the stone and for the obstacles to test the children. Yeah. Like because each of those different obstacles kind of have a different trait and characteristic and skill set to get through them and are being evaluated. And the one thing that Dumbledore also didn't know going like he he set all this up to test Harry see what he's working with one is he going to try to go solve this like is that the type of person he is or is he gonna go back to his dorm like an 11 year old is supposed to do happy fate he's the type that's going to actually go try to solve this great i can't even imagine as an 11 year old just being like now i'm going to go defeat trolls i'd be like and now i'm going to play barbies (laughs) (laughs) yeah like where's my dirt bike i want to go ride like i want to go have fun Mm -hmm. But each of those obstacles, like I said, they kind of they kind of test a different thing. And the thing that Dumbledore wasn't banking on when he went into all of this is he knew he had his king in Harry. He didn't know that he had the queen of the chessboard in Hermione. He yeah. didn't know that he had the knight of the chessboard in Ron <laughs> that he also gets to use on this quest. Wonderful. Three for the price of one. <laughs> not me, not Hermione. You, Harry. Okay, now that we've made a tribute to that scene. (laughs) It's a wild scene. Well done. And then, of course, it it caps off with, like, the, oh, you know about Nicholas? You did do the thing properly. That thing I was setting you up to do. Well done. I'm so glad that you followed through on the whole aspect. And he's like, check, you're one, done. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, of course, then we we get to book two, where he's still... I think in full on asset collection mode, he's like, he fully is trying to figure out what am I working with? Now I have a sense of what type of kid this is and the types of things he's good at. And now I know I have Hermione and Ron and their skill sets too. How do I actually make this happen? Like, what am I working? Oh, sorry. Sheep me. (laughs) How do I like, how does this come to fruition? Like what skill sets are, what abilities and like, what do I need to be considering along this? And in this yeah. book, obviously this is where we get things like parcel tongue. I 
I feel like this is like the team building book. We gather assets and then we're like, okay, how can we work together as a team, Ron, Hermione, and Harry? Because that's when we see them like collaborate on the polyjuice potion, the obstacle course you said. Less winging it. Yeah, that was kind of a winging it thing. This is more like planning it. They're really doing research together. They are working as one unified team because they've established their friendship at that point. Mm-hmm. There's definitely team building throughout the book for them. And there's also really useful information gathered by Dumbledore and very pertinent information, I guess you could say, when he discovers like Parseltongue. In the Midnight Duel ass chapter, when I was going through it with the hosts of For Fox Sake, Ellen from that podcast literally just like screamed in the middle of the episode because we got to the part where he speaks parcel tongue in front of everyone and she was like, Oh my gosh, what if Dumbledore set this up to confirm that he can? <laughs> well, that would be kind of right up Dumbledore's alley. I think yeah. he might have done this in a slightly different way because this gives Harry a lot of backlash. But at this point, also, Dumbledore cares a lot less about the backlash on Harry. Like, he doesn't care that much about Harry as a human. If he did, he would have found some way to address the abuse that he was going through for the first mm. 11 years of his, well, 12 years now of his life. There's that, and I think he obviously is starting to piece together the connection to Voldemort and the transfer of power and how that actually happens and like takes place. And perhaps this is a little horcruxy. Perhaps this is kind of where the prophecy comes from. This could be a problem for me in making all of this happen. I theorized in, along the way as well that I think one of the reasons that Dumbledore is not more proactive in trying to find the culprit in Chamber of Secrets is that he thinks it's very possible that it is Harry. Not that Harry is evil, but that Voldemort has figured out a way to tap into Harry and make him do the stuff. Mm. And what Dumbledore doesn't need is his king on the chessboard turning out to be the heir of Slytherin killing Muggleborn students. <laughs> That's not great PR for the chosen one. <laughs> it's not going to go very well for the plan. <laughs> yeah. I think the end of the book is very monumental for the way that Dumbledore crafts the plan as he goes. And that is what happens with Fox. We get to the end of the book and Harry obviously does the monologuing duel and once he finally figures out that memory Tom Riddle is a bad guy and isn't just a pal buddy old friend, he does the Albus Dumbledore's the greatest author in the world. I know because I've been here for 12 minutes and I know the extensive <laughs> history of all the powerful magical people. That obviously, that loyalty calls Fox and that's how Harry survives and doesn't end up very much dead in the floor in the Chamber of Secrets with no one to find him. Yeah. <laughs> Happy book! This is a very messed up, twisted series for children's books, which, side note, I decided fairly recently, I want this exact same story written for adult readers. Yeah. Do you say you want this, like, as adults, or do you want them, like... No, I want the I want the events of Harry Potter written for adults to be reading them. Like, I want the nightmare scene where Ginny wakes up covered in blood going, what in the heck just happened yeah. to me? 
You know, okay. the stuff that you know is happening but isn't really explicitly written on the page because my audience is 12. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think that's where our fanfiction people come in because there are a lot of people who right. have written some like, really great like and well-written fanfictions. I think we should put a call out to our anyone who writes fanfictions. If you want to write that, go for it, please. Yeah, write it and make it as just messed up as you possibly can <laughs> using the events that actually happened. Maybe a lot darker if it was stealth. <laughs> How terrifying is Tom Riddle right after graduation? Mm-hmm. Even teenage Tom Riddle, but how terrifying is that character actually if it's not written in a way that is meant to be consumed by children? Anyway, so there's that, but I think this is a turning point for Dumbledore because the loyalty that Harry shows Dumbledore in the chamber that calls Fox to him opens up Dumbledore's heart a little bit to actually caring about Harry as a person and as a kid. Mm-hmm. I think this is where he actually starts to give a crap about Harry and the quality of life that he has heading into the final showdown of, I still need this kid to kill a serial killer, but... I kind of care about whether he's happy up until the point he does it now because he's shown such loyalty to me and he starts feeling a little bit more of a loyalty and connection to him at this point. And now he also, he's assuming there's a connection to Voldemort. He's assuming that can be weaponized in some way as it goes along. And he also has his confirmation that not only are Horcruxes involved, but there are multiple. He knows that there are multiple at this point. This we actually get canonized on the text where he's like, Voldemort would not have been this flippant with a Horcrux if it was the only one he had. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's all of those elements coming into play. So that actually leads into book three where he's actually starting to activate Harry a bit, but he's also taking a little bit more care in again his quality of life i don't think it's a coincidence that remus lupin is the defense against the dark arts teacher that he chooses in year three a direct connection to harry's father Mm. and it's also the same book that we end up learning about sirius his godfather and we start tying all this i don't think harry is obtaining family in book three by total accident based on how book two ended and how Dumbledore is navigating these pieces around the board. He gets to learn a lot about Harry again here in the way that he goes about this stuff, but tell me if I'm crazy. Okay, we can do that. How long was Dumbledore planning the time-turner aspect of this climax? Oh my god. By this point, I imagined him having this really thick, heavy folder on top of his desk that he goes through with all the facts that he has collected about Harry and his friends. And he's like, I know their favorite colors. I know what day they were born. <laughs> having huge map on the wall. You know how they have yeah. in the movies always this big map on the wall with the red strings yeah. and everything? That's what he does, connecting mm-hmm. the bits and pieces and planning his plan. <laughs> yeah, except he's extracting it from his brain and putting it in his pencil. Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> and this is also the 90s, so he must have a trapper keeper. He doesn't have a binder or a folder. He has like a specific sure. like zip-up trapper keeper from the okay. 90s. All right. yeah. Highlighters, different colors. Yes. Gel pens. Oh, Yep. So I guess this is the part that, one, Minerva McGonagall, God love her. She is fantastic in this. She's a wonderful character. All hail the queen. She does not have the pull and the authority to get Hermione Granger a time turner. 
As far as we know, probably not. It, it seems like it's a very high up item to be having. I feel like Dumbledore has the pull to get it, but I think you're right uh-huh. in that McGonagall might not. Yeah, McGonagall can facilitate. She can make the case. She can do a lot of things, but I don't think that she has the government clearance to issue time travel to a child. But Dumbledore would. So Dumbledore makes it look like she does, though, I guess. Or just uses, like, uses the opportunity to get the object to Hermione. Yeah, mm-hmm. to his, his little trio now, because he's not just working on Harry, he's working on the whole whole group at this point. And at the same time, think about the Buckbeak execution scene. He is deliberately stalling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to a point where it's almost ridiculous. Yeah, it is. But if he doesn't know that this Time Turner event is going to take place, why would he be doing that? What would be the point? That's where it gets complicated when it comes to time travel and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, you mean like how it breaks everything? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, how it's a completely ridiculous concept and should never been introduced, but since we have it, now we have to think like it wasn't an accident. Mm Mm-hmm. Once we've kind of gotten through all of that, he, he's learned a lot about Harry in terms of the kind of character that he has. Like, Harry did not let his father's friends kill Pettigrew. He did not kill Pettigrew himself. Even when he had two shots at it, he still didn't. He knows Harry is a, I don't know what the word is, he's, he's just, is uh, maybe the word? Mm-hmm. And he knows that with Harry being able to do a Patronus, as much as I joke that he only ever learns two spells, he's not actually a slouch you know, with a wand necessarily. We're still training Harry. We're still making sure that he's got the abilities, but now we actually care about him some. So we're giving him family along the way. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of book three in the plan, which is interesting. And then in book four, we're in full-blown, now we're training. Because it's not flying keys anymore. Real dark arts and dangerous stuff is happening in the Triwizard Tournament. And if you think that Dumbledore hadn't thought, hmm, when this thing comes to town, Harry's probably going to be involved, I would call a big old big old sheep on that particular thought process. <laughs> I don't know that Dumbledore expected it to be a manipulation to get Harry into the tournament to put Harry in danger, but I also am not convinced that Dumbledore doesn't also want to see is Harry chosen by the goblet just in general? Yeah. Is it possible? Despite the age line and whatever, like, how is Harry going to get into this thing? Because we know he's going to. He's He's got to know bringing it to Hogwarts that there's a chance Harry's going to have to go through this thing. And he's probably thinking, well, is that so bad? I can learn a lot and I'll be here, you know? <laughs> like, mm. It's maybe not the maybe, worst. Maybe we test it, maybe we don't, maybe we kill it, maybe we don't. <laughs> right, well, I mean, the idea that Snape suggesting, hey, maybe we just let this play out because nobody knows how Harry got in there. Maybe this is a good way to figure out what's going on, who the bad people are, who's making this happen, who's pulling the strings other than you, Dumbledore. Dumbledore could have put a stop to it immediately. Could have just been like, no, not 17. Magical binding contract, my hind quarters. I think Dumbledore has the magical ability to go ahead and amend a contract. Yeah. What would even happen if he would have not taken part to it? What would the goblet or the, the binding contract with it do? I'm not sure, but I think I'd be afraid to drink anything out of a cup for a while. 
<laughs> I don't know. Like, what's the... Imagine you get, like, the cup, like, stuck to your mouth like this. Yeah. Just like, oh, I have a cup on my mouth. What did you do? I put my name in the Goblet of Fire and I'm too young. Oops, uh, I lost. <laughs> but it's kind of beneficial if Harry gets to go through some real stuff. Extra training. And learn some real defense because flying keys when you're 11 is one thing. A dragon, a sphinx, you know, dark magic. Mermaids. That's a whole other ball game and a whole lot closer to this serial killer wants you dead. You're going to go through a lot worse than this. So let's see how you do, kid. It's time for training camp. Yeah. Strap on your boots, boy. <laughs> exactly. He also gets early on, I think it's clear in his mind, Voldemort has gone on offense. So the training is also very important. I think he's also, at this point, discerned the connection because he knows there's multiple Horcruxes, because he knows that there has been some ability transfer and things like that. I think that he has gotten to the point where he is pretty sure that Harry is a Horcrux. Mm -hmm. In order for Voldemort to die, Harry has to. I think he's gotten there. But I think he's also, in the back of his mind, started to try to figure out, okay, how can Harry possibly survive? Do we think that Dumbledore expected Voldemort to be at the end of that last task as well? Because that would mean he willingly let him come so close to being killed and that he knew Moody would be somehow... He, I think he had always a suspicion about Moody that he's not the real one because they have been friends for a long time and you would notice probably the difference. Yeah, it never made any sense to me that he was just completely oblivious to that. Yeah. I don't think that he suspected the porky yeah. portion of it having... I think that he truly thought that Harry would be under his own purview the entire time, and so he could witness the events as they took place and unfolded and make sure that Harry was safe along the way, but also make sure that he was getting the clues, I guess you could say, trying to figure out how and who and why and who's working for Voldemort here. You know, I think that was also very important to him. I think the port key thing was just, oh, that's how. Oopsies. Wasn't expecting that. Thank God you didn't die, kid. <laughs> Oopsie daisies, that was an unneeded trial. Well, yeah, because he's not flawless. No. Luckily, the other guy died, and not you. Yeah, good yeah. thing the Hufflepuff died and not the yeah. Gryffindor. No one needs those. Yeah, no one needs a Hufflepuff. Yeah. First, when he came to the conclusion that Harry is a Horcrux, his immediate thought was, how do we get the most out of this death? Like, how do we get the farthest towards, like, how do we make sure that Voldemort dies and that Harry doesn't die for nothing, essentially, because he knows he has to. And then he starts working on, does he have to? And that is when we get, at the end, the gleam of triumph when he learns about Voldemort using Harry's blood. That gleam of triumph is totally supposed to suggest to us that he realizes in that moment that Voldemort just tethered Harry through his mother's blood magic charm. He wouldn't care if he wasn't already thinking, how the heck can this kid survive? <laughs> the fact that he has to die. <laughs> like, I have no idea how this is going to happen. And then it's like, oh, that could be a way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Great. Fantastic. We can might actually get a happy ending to this whole thing. Yeah. So that's always been kind of fascinating to me. Uh, so we get into five and I don't, I don't want to, go too incredibly long on all these books because your podcast is going to be three hours long. That was like so much editing. Even if the side tensions are happening, that's just bonus stuff for the Patreon. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So in five, 
this is all protection by neglect. We're in protection mode. Okay. We're, we are protecting Harry. We need to get Harry to the end of this thing. And the thought process from Dumbledore is, as a lot of us know, there's a connection here. Voldemort's going to figure it out. And one, I'm going to make it less tempting by leaving Harry alone. And I'm also going to not give Voldemort a freaking, you know, microscope right into the planning for how I'm going up a get I don't want to give him information either. Mm-hmm. There's two things happening here. And I have Ron and Hermione to work with Harry on his happiness. I need to make sure that I keep him breathing and I keep the plan going and make sure that we're still heading towards Voldemort's defeat, trying to avoid that weaponization of that connection that he's been suspecting is possible since book two. And he does try to arrange for Harry to start fighting it back with Occlumency. He just made the mistake of trusting that Snape was going to be an adult about it and got that math very, very wrong. We can get into book six. So now we're in attack plan, right? We've established that uh, Voldemort is now trepidatious about the connection he's not going to use it to weaponize with harry anymore because he can't he's not going to possess him in that way because of how book five ended so now we've got the actual mentor protege we're gonna actually go on attack mode here and this is the best book in the series but the the whole thing now has i have to prepare him to actually do this yeah and the hand has now hit the now we have to do it in fast forward because I thought that we were going to have several years together to work towards Mm -hmm. this. And now he knows I have like a year to cram. Hey, Harry, (laughs) this is what you're going to have to do. (laughs) Yeah, there's all these objects that you're going to have to find that are going to try to kill you. You got to kill them before you can kill him while he's out there trying to kill you. And by the way, I'm going to be dead because I done messed with a ring. There's a lot of death in that sentence. Yeah. These are kids' books. I feel like after book three, we make a very stark turn into like, oh, yeah, this is not, they're yeah. not like little shiny children anymore. Like, no. Things are going to go down. No, we're, we're now writing it towards the children as they've aged. This one's a bit more on the surface, but the stuff that's going on, I think, with Dumbledore here is that he, f- I think he fully intended to, I think Malfoy screwed it up, essentially, what the plan was for book six because i think it was harry you have to understand who it is that you're going after because that's how you're going to find the horcruxes you have to understand what horcruxes are so you know how they tether him to life like you have to experience a guided adventure if you will Mm -hmm. of a horcrux actually in the wild and you have to know how to destroy it and you have to be able to do this multiple times and keep yourself alive when i'm gone We got about three quarters of the way through that (laughs) in the plan before Malfoy screwed it up and let Death Eaters in and the death of Dumbledore came much sooner. I think his plan was he fully intended to bring that Horcrux back to Hogwarts, take Harry into his office, give him information. This is a Horcrux and this is how we're going to kill it and then actually do it. He might even let Harry do it. If, obviously, assuming the Horcrux was real, as they assumed you know, once they got back. Now, they, as we know, would have gotten into the office and gone, oh, Oops. crap, mm-hmm. we can't do this. But that wasn't the plan, right? <laughs> the people who are like, but he didn't even give him the information that he needed. Like, you can't give him every bit of information all in one 
he has to kind of learn along the you have to build upon foundational knowledge before just throwing it all at him like hey by the way kid you got to do all these things kill all these things and oh by the way you're gonna die yeah good luck what would you do if someone does that to you? You would run, right? You would not like Right, you'd shut do down. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially you yeah. have to always remember that age that he is at and hearing yeah. something like that despite of all the stuff that he has gone through his whole life basically <laughs> at Hogwarts still I would have imagined he would have just gone. Yeah. And there's another thing happening here that we don't get on the page, and that is he's setting up Book 7. Book 7 for Dumbledore's plan is pretty short, because Dumbledore's already gone. He did. But the fact that he has a role in Book 7 means he's been laying this since Book 6, when he found out he was going to die. He had to put these other things in place, and I actually think that at the end of Book 6, he intended to tell Harry about the Deathly Hallows in some form or fashion, at least like bring them up. And I think that's a kind of a possibility of the, if you will, for me, like maybe he would, without actually telling him everything about them, I think he might have like hinted towards them so that Harry didn't go totally off quest, but at least wasn't totally surprised when Hermione discovered it through Beetle Labard and all of that stuff and like what role it could potentially play. Because I think that was actually phase two of keep Harry alive get him to survive the killing of Voldemort. We've got the blood that's kind of tethering him, but I'm not totally convinced, and this is where it's kind of a crackpot theory for me, that Harry has the choice to go on or come back if he's not also the master of death in that moment. I mean, that's a valid point. He is the master of all the Hallows at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can tell me, oh, he actually dropped the rock on the ground before he... come. Come on. Whatever. He was the last person to have it. He He used it. It It was actively in use in the moment of his, what would have been his demise. Mm -hmm. He is the owner of the stone. He is the owner of the cloak, and he is the master of the wand. And while it is disputed in canon, where Dumbledore says it was my intention for Snape to get the wand, it was also his intention to have Snape kill him and not let Harry know (laughs) that Snape was going to be the one to do that. And so he also knows that Harry would go after Snape. He knows that Snape would not kill Harry because Snape's in on the whole plan. And I'm not convinced he wouldn't think, yeah, Harry knows like one spell really good. He's going <laughs> to expel Yarmus that thing and it's going to be his. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility here. Yep. I think it went into the math. So I think it's, I guess, tying a bow on the whole thing. I just think it's kind of fascinating to watch how it forms from truly just like this child is the key to a greater good. And unfortunately, it has to be him. But it does because that's how magic works, apparently, in prophecies and how it morphs into how can I not just make sure that he fulfills that destiny that he has, but that he actually lives through it and has something worth living for and things like that and when those kind of things happen throughout that i find kind of fascinating and as i do go through my podcast i sort of do it with that lens and 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 i check in on dumbledore a lot and this was not an infomercial for my podcast but this is just kind of how my brain works uh is going through all this stuff is is all this nuts 
no, I think I think this all like lines up and makes sense. And I feel like this is a storyline point that we hear a lot of people make, not as quite as well fleshed out as you have fleshed it out. But I think it's definitely something that I know I think about when I'm reading the books is like, what was Dumbledore thinking then? What was he doing? What was he up to? Why is he not around? What mm-hmm. kind of strings is he pulling throughout the entirety of the series? Mm. So I think yeah. most people in some capacity are on the same train as you. You're just driving the crazy train. <laughs> Two things on this. First of all, after this and seeing your notes, you are definitely a Ravenclaw. And <laughs> Big nerd. Big nerd. <laughs> yes. Confirm. And second, we know that there could have possibly been another person being the chosen one, and that is Neville. Mm-hmm. What do you think would it have been very different if it would have been Neville? Would it have been more difficult, more challenging? Would it have been easier? What do you think Dumbledore would have done with Neville? I think it would have been completely different Mm -hmm. with Neville because Neville's skill set and his natural instincts and abilities from the jump are incredibly polar opposites of Harry. Not to say that he doesn't he doesn't have bravery in him and that he doesn't value the right things and he couldn't have been a worthy chosen one, Mm -hmm. but he sucks at magic for a really long time. Yeah. Now, do you think that Dumbledore would have? made sure that he would develop faster in his skills throughout the years, maybe? Because he does get there in the end. We see it that he's leading those that are left in in school by the end. He does, but he gets there a completely different... He gets there in a completely Mm -hmm. different way. But yes, I think for one, Neville didn't have the right starting off point because... For whatever reason, he doesn't have his own wand until like book six. Which is wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously that is for starters why you suck at magic. But he also he has no confidence whatsoever. He has no self belief at all, and you can't not have confidence in yourself and do the things necessary to kill a serial killer. Let's just bring it back to that. Like you <laughs> yeah. have to have a belief in yourself, or you go, oh, this is terrifying i'm not doing that at all and neville wasn't equipped at 11 no to save the sorcerer's stone he wasn't equipped at 12 to save Ginny in the chamber of secrets he wasn't equipped at 13 to (laughs) free a convicted murderer and do time travel and fight off dementors like he he wasn't equipped to do those things it doesn't mean that he wasn't equipped to do other things Mm -hmm. you know and so the plan would have been completely different i think the The way that Harry ends up defeating Voldemort is very much tailored by Dumbledore to the strengths that he witnesses in Harry. Like, he knows that Harry is going to go on this quest because he is, he has shown since 11 that he is going to fight for the, for the greater good and he is going to take it upon himself to go do those things. And he, realizes that he's going to lean on his friends and so he uses that in the way that harry ends up taking down voldemort and all of those things are laid out that way because those are the strengths of harry Mm -hmm. if it was neville there would have been a completely different path to try to get there and it would have involved plants a lot of plants Do you think, though, that he would have gotten there in the end? Or would it have just taken longer? Or would have he died before and Voldemort would have taken over everything? Oh, no! I think it's highly possible that that would have been even more of a mentor-protege type of arc and type of series if it was Neville from the beginning because... Now, let's 
for starters, it would have been written differently and Neville wouldn't have sucked if he was actually supposed <laughs> to be the main character of this uh, series. Yeah. But assuming Neville sucks when he shows up. And I don't mean sucks as a character. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. like, su- he can't even keep yeah. track of his toad and he cries all the time. Like, he's he sucks as a protagonist at that point. He ain't ready. So he would have needed Dumbledore to save the day in those early books. But I think, yeah, he would have ended up getting there. He would have, I think his development would have been sped up Mm -hmm. by Dumbledore because he would have known the importance of it early on. He also would have had access to Neville as being a pure blood and not going off to live with muggles. That's the part that is a little bit more fascinating to me. Like Neville ends up being great. Mm-hmm. He's great in a completely different way, but he ends up being great. That part would not be that, I think, incredibly different. It just would have been different skills used to do it. What would Dumbledore have done to protect him leading up to it? We know that Frank and Alice would have fought to save their kid. They did, mm-hmm. you know, but would the sacrifice have been made in the same way? Would the same blood magic be able to be used? How would Dumbledore have? kept Neville out of the limelight, if you will, being a pureblood without muggle relatives to go send him off to? Would it have been a Fidelius charm and, like, keep him under wraps? Or would it have been trying to... Would he have been even more actively involved in the first 11 years, even, of Neville's life and making sure that things like, you know, he gets his own wand or people don't... Chuck him out a window. Uh, fill him. Chuck him out a window. Yeah, that's that's a good start. Could you imagine if he thought that his chosen one was a squib? It's fascinating to me how it could have gotten there. But I'm. I mean, yes, it would have. It would have gotten there. Mm-hmm. I just say it would have gotten there differently because even by the end, Neville's using plants in the Battle of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. He kills Nagini with a sword. The magical quote unquote thing that he masters is the Room of Requirement, which doesn't require. Neville to do anything magical. Yeah, that's true. If Harry knows two spells, Neville knows none. Valid. It would have just taken a a completely different way of making it happen. Yeah, Yeah, I can agree with that. I feel like if Neville was the main character in the story, I would really prefer him to be a Hufflepuff because I feel like he should be a Hufflepuff anyway. And that's just my own personal opinion because of like, one, he's so good with plants and two, he's just like much more of an empathetic character and a feelings driven. And like we determined that Hufflepuffs were very driven by our feelings. We have a lot of feelings. Harry's just like blind intuition driven. Gryffindor's like, I have a good idea. I shall do it. And Hufflepuffs are like, I feel a certain way about the world that I must act on this feeling (laughs) that I have about the I think the reason, and this kind of just popped into my head now, so it's not that fleshed out, but I think one of the reasons that we don't get more diverse house representation in the books is we needed proximity. Well, and it's a children's book, too. The first two books are very, like, bad guy, good guy. Well, yeah, there's that, but I mean, if, let's say, Neville was sorted into Hufflepuff. Oh, yeah, that's true. If you add another layer of, like, the whole entire world we have to add in. Yeah, how do they interact with each other? How do... Mm -hmm you then likely have to write the whole series about Hufflepuffs. And then people are complaining that Hufflepuff is, Hufflepuff's the glorified house and everyone else is sheeped on in the books. Literally no one has ever said that. (laughs) But if the main, if the main protagonist character is in Hufflepuff, you can bet that all of the friends are in Hufflepuff and all of the good people are from Hufflepuff because like we have to actually interact with them. Mm. Yeah. This was brilliant. I enjoyed that very much. 
Yeah. I told you yesterday I have a feeling we are going to have a great recording with you <laughs> and I was yeah. right. So that was really brilliant. You did so good. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, that was great. Glad I could bring you into my madness for a minute. Hey, no problem. Somebody's got to come along. We're here for it, you know. That's what we do. Okay. So, now that we are done with our main topic, we are going to get into our game for the episode. So this is our game, Are You Puffin' Kidding Me? And this is a game where each person tells one fact, quote-unquote, about themselves to the group, and then the group must vote if that person is telling the truth or puffing with them. And then each person can also ask one question of the person giving the statement. And Zach, if you would like to go first, we give the guests the opportunity to take the wheel and go first if they like. So my fact about myself is that I wrote and recorded the song that my wife and I had our first dance to at our wedding in secret. Secret. Oh. What is the name of the song? The name of the song is the date of our wedding anniversary. Nine slash the numbers. The numbers of the date. Do you want us to tattle on your wife to let you let her know that you don't know the date of your wedding anniversary? <laughs> it, <laughs> it is nine twenty nine eighteen, written as a date. Okay. How is that? Okay, he knows. Is it only musical, or have you been singing also? I was singing on the song as well. I think this is true. This sounds cute, and it sounds like something you would do. And also, our guests have a horrible time lying to us, so. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying or not, but every time we ask him a question, he's kind of like, mm, taking a moment. I think it's true. I wish it would be true because that would be very cute and very special. So I vote for it's true. What is it? It is true. Aha! <laughs> I did do that. My uh, My best man and I went down to Nashville for a quote-unquote bachelor weekend, uh -huh. and I recorded a song that I wrote with the guy that also officiated our wedding. That's so nice. I told her we were using a completely different song for that, and she didn't hear it until the moment that we did it. I would melt into five million pieces if someone did that for me. Like, <laughs> I would be on the floor as a puddle. I think she was actually more annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know your wife, but I love her already. <laughs> she was she was nervous about the first dance, so she wanted to. She even wanted to like practice to like the song we were supposed to be dancing to. Did and... you practice with a different song than? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I wasn't gonna tell her. Oh. Yeah, she had... at this point I hadn't even recorded it yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we each got a point, Mel. Yes. Yes. Good for us. Okay. So I did put in our doc an, an idea as a topic of video games, because I know we've been talking about Hogwarts Legacy a lot. Mm -hmm. But I would like to say that the first video game that I ever owned was Yoshi Island. <gasps> That's my favorite. It's such a fun game. I love that. Hmm. What console? Oh, my good old Game Boy Advance SP, which I still own. Oh, you have shown that to me the other day. So I do know that you have it. But you said that this was the very first one you ever owned. Yeah, out of all, this is the first video game that was like Juliana. This is Juliana's video game and not a shared one among me and my siblings. Oh, okay. That changes things mm, a little bit. That's a wrinkle. Mm -hmm. That made it more <laughs> difficult. <laughs> I don't even know. Mel asked the right question. 
Oh, ask my question. <laughs> <laughs> I can't ask the question. <laughs> Read my mind. <laughs> I can give you mine if you want to. Give, if you want to ask. We, yeah, we can do that. No, that's not how it works. We are sticking true to the game. We are making the rules here. It's our podcast. If I want to give it to you, it's fine. <laughs> Mel's leaning into her Slytherin side of being like, ha 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 ha. What? We I manipulate the rules. <laughs> <laughs> what is the age gap between you and your next closest sibling? Uh, okay, so I'll give you the lineup. So I'm the oldest, and then we have Maria, who's a year and a half younger than me. Katie's a year younger than Maria, and then Joey's a year younger than Katie. Okay. My immediate thought was that uh, you would have had a previous system mm -hmm. than that and thus would have a different video game. But then you said this was the first that was actually just yours. So the fact that it would be a self-contained, a personal console, mm -hmm. not on a shared TV does make some sense that it could have possibly been your first console of your own. And the fact that you're only a year and a half ahead of your next sibling suggest that you didn't have like four years of life where you could have had another video console before they were alive so i can believe that the console lines up now it's for me it's just a matter of whether the game is crap <laughs> and there was another game mel also knows i own quite a few games yes right okay i'll just go with my guts and i say it's not true <laughs> then i'm gonna say it's true that way at least one of us gets it right <laughs> okay so it is true uh, it's the first game. I, it came with my Game Boy Advance SP in the in like a bundle. Nice. We had, did have a GameCube when I was younger, but that was actually my brother's. But we actually did mm. all play Mario Kart on the GameCube. But Yoshi's Island was my first actual game, and I still own it, and I still have the Game Boy Advance SP. I'm still fascinated that even GameCube would be, or because I I definitely pegged you for having like a Super Nintendo. I did. Mm -hmm. Or something that like is that predates GameCube and handhelds we had like some of those weird you know like they weren't atari but they were those other plug-in tv games that were compartmentalized oh we had a bunch of those yeah. and then my brother got the gamecube mm -hmm. and i had the sp and then i had a, a ds and then we had a wii interesting all right so for my fact i stay also with the video game theme that we have here and my fact is that my brother and me we loved playing we had the super nintendo and all of these things we are both a little bit older uh so we were early on with the consoles but we were also fighting a lot when we were little so when we were playing together we got into rage mode sometimes with each other and my brother is a very bad loser and my mother couldn't stand it after a while anymore and as a punishment she took everything that we had and gave it as a present to my cousin and we didn't have anything left for a couple of years what exactly did she get rid of it was just one system or what what was what she take away uh, at the time, we had a Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. um, then there was the 64, I think, after that. Yeah, Nintendo 64. 64. And we had the first, the older versions of the Game Boy, yeah. where you didn't have any color yet. Yeah, the big chunkers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Would you consider yourself, and don't give too many details here because nobody's damn business, but would you say that you came from a privileged upbringing financially? No, I, I, ah, it's hard to say. I think it was pretty much like they were making sure that we had what we needed. And if there was some extra things that we liked to have, we were getting them. Yeah. 
I would say, I, I feel like knowing Mel, she's not someone who, like, has things in excess, really, as, like, a personality trait. No. I feel like that's very European, though, too, to not overdo things to the point that we Americans like to overdo things, and, like... We're all Dudley. <laughs> yeah, essentially. They usually would, like, get something for us together, and mm -hmm. if we get, for example, a new console, then the old one would be given away and sold, or... Yeah. I know, I, I've been saying that the things that you are saying are true, I feel like, Mel, and I keep getting these wrong, and I feel like I'm going to go with true on this one, because I feel like it's something that would happen, so mm -hmm. I'm going to go with true on this one. Okay. I'm going with not true, based on some of the answers and how some things just in my head are going a little differently than, than what it sounds like they would go. Okay. And it is... Not fully true. So, so uh, I, I keep getting this wrong. <laughs> we would definitely play together, and my brother is a bad loser, <laughs> but he's also really good at these games. So I would usually be the one that's losing. She did give away our Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and all the games and everything to my cousin, but not as a punishment, but because my brother wanted to have a new console, the next one. Uh. I think it was. Maybe he he was getting the PlayStation or something, and she was giving all the old stuff away to my cousin because he didn't have any of those. That was where you broke. <laughs> because you said that they often, when you got something new, would sell or give away the old things. Uh... But in this story, you had three different consoles that were given away all at once. Like, Wait a I minute. I noticed that ah! myself. If you like, would have... Devin? Yeah. You're a lot smarter than I am. Good catch. That's where it broke for me. But the the idea that like my mom would spend the money on the thing and then just as a punishment, just like give away the stuff that she spent all the money on. Yeah. It's like, uh, I, she might hide it. I might not have it for a little bit, but she dropped a coin. So Yeah. Okay, but Juliana. Yes. We have played this game for a full year. Oh, I lost. <laughs> I already know I lost. I'm in third, I think, still. In this game, we are, of course, collecting points and we have a tally. And by the end of the year, right before our birthday of the podcast, we count the points together and we have a winner. So this year, Juliana... I really lost this you year. You unfortunately made the third place. You collected one point today and you have a total of nine points. I was able to catch up a little bit in the last couple episodes, but I also make only the second place with 12 points. And Zach, you got perfect two points in this round. And with 14 for the guests in the second year in a row, the guests are winning. So congratulations for the contribution. <laughs> <laughs> to that I say, third or nothing. Third or nothing. I just... I, I just... I want to thank God, really, for this moment. Oh, okay. You have a full speech. Wow. That's great. In my, in, in my parents. <laughs> no, I think you guys just know each other too well. I think you've just been talking to each other too much. Like, you know so much about each other. I think that's other kind of the problem. That you, yeah, that you <laughs> grasping a little bit at like, mm, are they trying to trick me? And we just come in blind. Like, yeah. We have an advantage. Yeah, that's is, true. Is all I'm saying. We also have been doing this for three years now, Juliana. Yeah, we are we're running, running out, of out of we are running out of things. It's really literally every time we are pulling it by the teeth. Like that's why we kind of started introducing like a small theme because Mel and I have been like, yeah. what are we even gonna say? So well done and congratulations to the guests. Second year, 
in a row, you are winning. And next year... Yeah. I'm coming for you next year. <laughs> the next guest, I tell you. Yes. <laughs> you better keep it up. Is Roy our next guest? We might have Roy next. I think next. so. Roy, it's on you. Let's go. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, that rounds out that section. Thank you, Zach, so much for coming on today's episode. It was really great to have you. No, thank thank you for slumming it and letting me come crash your podcast. And hopefully you have any listeners left now that we've gotten to the end. We ask that at the end of every episode, and they still keep coming back for some weird reason. <laughs> <laughs> this was honestly such a joy, and you did such a great yeah. deep dive into the master plan of Dumbledore. So please come back sometime and give us another round of whatever you want to talk to. So. Yeah. Anytime you want to have me, I am just one Instagram message away. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Zach, why don't you let us know if listeners want to find you and your podcast, Belated Binge, where they can find you? The most centralized location would be the website, belatedbinge.com. Uh, it has links to everything. You can listen to episodes on it. You can get to all the pod players. You can get to all the social media and all of that. So you might as well just use the website belatedbinge.com uh, or obviously whatever pod player you're using right now you can search belated binge in the search bar and mel will link your podcast in the episode description yes awesome okay well listeners if you'd like to get in contact with us over here at podcast pod you can listen to us on platforms where all podcasts are platformed and found and projected whatever the heck they do over there <laughs> i i project podcasts all the time friends um mostly out of my mouth <laughs> You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. I've, I love to end this episode in chaos, so let's do it. Uh, you can. <laughs> this is why people find us relaxing, because I'm here, obviously. <laughs> okay, so you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PuffCastPod. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PuffCast. You can also send us a long-form email of all your thoughts, feelings, reactions, hot takes on Dumbledore to PuffCastPod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon for as little as $2 a month where you can get bonuses, which I'm sure Mel will pull some lovely bonuses from this episode if you'd like to hear those. Also, we donate to charity every month. So thank you, Puffcast patrons, for helping us donate to that charity. And thank you to David from Crooked Wands for helping us up that charity donation every month with the sales from his Etsy shop. And that is patreon.com slash Puffcast. You can also get a Puffcast shirt at bonfire.com slash Puffcast. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts like our friend and big old Tom or John. John. Big John. Big John. Big John. Uh, we left us an Apple podcast review. And you could also leave us a five-star rating on Spotify if you so choose. Big John, if you would like to send us a message, I'll send you a friendship bracelet and a sticker. Until next time. Stay puffy. And badger on. Wow, that was great. That was very like, when, uh, we'll see you next time on this radio show. Oh, mom, have a good, have a good time. <laughs>